Hey guys, welcome to this new podcast called Better Call Nico. For those who don't know, this podcast is all around film photography, be it darkroom, gear, uh, issues, troubleshooting, developing, whatever you have with film photography. And I know that film photography, as in is analog photography, chemical photography, photography on its own, because before digital, there was no other photography. Um, but this comes from Nico. I'm based in Spain. I'm British mother, American wife, North American from Miami. So that's why I have this accent. A lot of people ask that or don't really understand that I'm in Spain. And uh, this podcast is brought to you to basically be part of a podcast. So you either send a voice message or I then ended up realizing that a lot of people maybe are shy or don't speak proper English or English at all. So I opened the fact that you guys can also send emails. So it's very simple. It's a call-in podcast through WhatsApp Audio, which is a free software kind of messenger program that you can send audio messages to me. I can play them back onto this podcast and you, I can answer you. Due to the fact that most of the questions can be answered in, you know, five, ten minutes tops, there's going to be multiple questions. So either you can listen to the whole thing or you can just read the description and be like, oh, I'm not interested in this topic and move over. My idea is going to be to probably uh, do a podcast a week um, unless there's so many requests. And right now, because it was the launch, I have like over 100 requests. So I'm going to try to pump out as much as I can. But I do understand it might be too much to do more than a week for me. So um, let's get started. First of all, as I said, you can go to www.bettercallnico.com and uh, send any voice message or email. So let's start with the first one, and I'm going to go as much as I can in order. So if I screw up the order, which you guys won't know, I will, but I'll try to answer every single request. The ones that I'm not sure about, I will do my best to help you, or maybe if I can, depending on timing, I'll get some expert on to help you out. So let's start with the first one uh, without further ado. Hi Nico, uh, this is Jeremy from Montreal. Okay, um, so basically I wanted to know more about Bronica because uh, I recently picked up uh, a Bronica ETRSI and honestly I didn't really find any real information regarding the, the lenses and also what maybe what's the best uh, feature on them. So I, I was hoping you could maybe uh, talk a little more about Bronica, not necessarily like the history of the brand, but more about what makes a good Bronica, uh, especially right now, when, uh, you know, all Azelblad and, uh, and big brand like that are very, very uh, difficult to get for a good price. Thanks again for everything you're doing for the community. See ya. Okay, so that was Jeremy from Montreal. Um, I do appreciate you guys giving me a bit of background just because it makes it easier. So name, location is super fun. Um, and if you give a bit more, you know, stuff around your topic would help. Uh, Jeremy was good with his information. So we're going to start with the topic of Bronica. Bronica is a Japanese brand and he said no history, but it's impossible not to talk a little bit about it. It's less known than Hasselblad's or Mamiya's or anything like that. But Bronica back in the day was really the affordable version for wedding photographers. Uh, first communion here in Spain, it was like the wedding communion, uh, like Boda Bautizo Comunión. So 
baptism, uh, first communion, and weddings. So it was really, really the, you could buy two Bronica systems for the price of uh, a Hasselblad. So that made a lot of people get into it and use them. So there's nothing wrong with Bronicas. That's the first thing we have to start with. Uh, they're really good cameras. They're a great value for the price today. Um, back in the day, they were also a good uh, value for price. But a lot of people throughout the years, as always, things get a little more um, diluted or even like things that pop up, pop up more. So the Hasselblads are still super pretty, super good cameras, but they also fail. Uh, and I know someone's going to go like, oh, you Hasselblad hater. I've had probably around 14, 15 Hasselblads, and they all end up having some sort of issue. And it's not that they're not great cameras. It's that they've been very, very used. Um, and they either uh, jam or light seals break or whatever. Something can happen. I'm not going to talk about Hasselblads right now. But Bronica's, the ETRS line, which was the 645 line, was uh, a great mm, SLR 645 camera system. It's modular, so you can change the lenses, you can change the backs, you could change, I think, the grips and all that, uh, waist level finder or not. Like, it's a great camera. A Bronica ETRS, and then there are ETR, ETRS, ETRSI, if I'm not wrong. And nobody quote me on that one. Um, but basically, it's a great camera system. It's 645. I think there's maybe a 35 millimeter panoramic back or 35 millimeter frame, which was a 24 by 36 millimeters. But it's a great camera. And the lenses are great. There's a 75 2.8, uh, which at the end of the day is like the Mamiya uh, 645 80 2.8. It's a very similar lens. It's basically a 300-ish dollar euro, uh, and I'm going to talk U.S. dollars and European euros uh, most of the time for pricing. Uh, I know Montreal is Canada, so translate that to Canadian dollars, which I'm not currently aware. I know they're a little lower than the U.S. dollar, so it probably is like 400 Canadian. Um, but you can pick up a camera and start shooting. That's the main thing. This camera works. They are beat up sometimes, but they still work. They have a lineup of lenses that's great. They go down wide to probably 45 millimeter and maybe wider. And I'm not currently super aware of the whole lineup, but yeah, 75, 150s, probably like 200s, probably a macro lens and all that. So if you want to get started in medium format and, you know, 645 is probably the best format to start. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why a lot of the people that start with medium format don't go to 645. And I think that's both a mistake uh, overseeing it and um, a bit of a curse. So when you're shooting 35 and you're shooting film, it's two by three aspect. It's uh, 24 by 36 millimeters. It's two by three. It's a cool format, but you get burned out. It's the same as the digital cameras. The all the digital cameras shoot the same thing, you know, sort of a two by three, either it's micro four thirds. Well, that's a little more squared. Um, maybe the, the e EFS or APS-C, you know, all these formats are pretty much a two by three. So when you get into film and you're like medium format, you always jump guys, and I'm included, to the square. Hasselblads, Bronigas, uh, Roliflexes, whatever it is, square. But uh, you get 10 shots on a square per roll of 120, and you're missing on those 15, 16 shots per roll of uh, 120 on 645. So that that's a huge, to me, problem because yes you want to make your film pictures look more film because a medium format shouts medium format when it's six by six but six four five if nobody tells you it's hard to sometimes see on instagram which is our main goal 
uh, sadly, nowadays on film photography. But yeah, I highly suggest you start. Uh, so yeah, the Bronica line is great. Uh, the T ETRS is the 645. They also have a Bronica RF 645, I think is the name. Or uh, I right now, don't quote me on that one. I'm, I've had it. It makes a monster noise. It's like a dying robot. Every time you shoot, uh, the shutter does like, it like makes this weird noise. I wasn't a fan. I bought one very cheaply. Shot one roll after shooting Mamiya 6 and Mamiya 7s. And it was like, no way, Jose, I'm going through this camera. Uh, I didn't like the format. I didn't, it was a vertical 645. And I sold it. So those are the 645 cameras Bronica had. Then the 6x6, there's a lot of options. There's the EC S2, the Bronica S, which are more mechanical, chunkier cameras. We have a joke here in Spain. They look like uh, Vietnamese pigs because they kind of do. And they're chunky. They're very much like a Hasselblad, but let's add like a 30% more body fat to it. And it's they're great cameras. They have a bunch of line, uh, line of lenses. They have their built-in, I think, helicoid in the lenses. But don't quote me again on that because I haven't used many of them. Uh, the la latest one, I think, is the ECTL, and it's really good camera. Also interchangeable uh, focusing screens, modular design, backs. Uh, you can shoot 645 if you want on that back. Um, Polaroid backs, whatever it is. They even had like a Carl Zeiss lens that's like a 80 f 2.4 maybe. So that's pretty interesting. And then you had the SQ, SQA, SQB, SQAI, all that. Those are more plasticky, smaller cameras, electronically um, controlled, so battery dependent. Uh, but they're really small. To me, they feel very similar in size to a Hasselblad that I think is the smallest 6x6 SLR camera out there. So yeah, great deal. Uh, and the lenses are super cheap. Like uh, one of my studio partners has a Bronica SQA probably or SQAI. And he bought it because he was like, I wanted a 40, I wanted an 80, and I wanted a 150 millimeter lens. And he went to Hasselblad and he looked at the prices of the 40 millimeter and they're probably around a grand. Like a thousand dollars, a thousand euros. And he went ahead and decided to purchase the Bronica because the 40 millimeter in Bronica was something like 300. So a third of the price. So you're getting very good results. I'm not saying it's better Bronica glass than Hasselblad uh, Carl's Ice glass, but you're getting pretty much very, very, very good results. And uh, you're spending a third of the price. So that's why. So SQ line, really fun and good, but it is uh, battery dependent. And then you have the 6x7. And a lot of people forget that Bronica did make a 6x7 camera, and it's the GS1. It's overshadowed by the Pentax 6.7 and the Mamiya RZ and other cameras, but basically it's a 6x7 camera. It shoots uh, on the landscape default. You can't shift the back. You can't rotate, so no rotating back, which to me is a bit of a bummer. But then the camera is so small because it only does 6x7, uh, just a small note for Mamiya RZs and RBs, they're basically a 7x7 cameras. I would say more like an 8x8 camera. So you can rotate and you can use the Polaroid backs and whatever. So that's why they're so boxy and big. But the GS1 being a 6x7 only uh, is much smaller. It's closer to an SQ, I mean, sorry, S2A or SECTL from Bronica and uh, a Hasselblad. So it's not so big. The problem with the GS1, in my opinion, is the fact that the lenses don't focus very close because they don't use bellows. They're, you know, the helical on the lens. 
And then the lenses, there's not a huge lineup. The 50 millimeter has a humongous filter thread, so it's kind of a bummer. Uh, they're very inexpensive. So you can find a GS1 with a lens uh, for south of 500-ish. Uh, I have one. Uh, I should make videos on it, but I haven't yet. And yeah, it's a great system. So Bronica cameras are awesome. Bronica cameras are still undervalued. Bronica cameras are great entry and non-entry level uh, camera system to shoot. Our problem nowadays is that we all, our eyes are drawn to sexier cameras. Bronica cameras are not sexy. Let's put it that way. And I'm sorry to quote it and uh, give it that definition. But yeah, we all kind of buy cameras based on, you know, the functionality, budget, and the looks. We all, well, that's, well, that's why people buy A1s for 200 bucks when a Canon... EOS 300 is 20 bucks, and they're both 35 millimeter cameras. The EOS 300 is much better of a camera, but it looks like the soccer mom, soccer dad uh, digital camera, and nobody wants that look. People want that clunky metal looking Canon FD look, so that's why. So yeah, Bronica cameras are awesome. I highly recommend them if you find a working one. Uh, the lenses, I do know on the e in the 645 ETRS line, the ones that are labeled PE, like physical education, are the latest and have better coatings, but that doesn't mean the older ones are going to render horribly. Do remember the changes in these cameras were minor. And to our eye, in our uh, normal working uh, workflow, you're not going to notice a huge amount of difference. It's going to be good, good enough, or even excellent for your use. So yeah, that's uh, what I have to say about Bronicas for Jeremy. I hope that's helped a little bit. I do have a few friends that are more into it, but they're Spanish. So I don't know if I could bring them in and try to have them speak English. But let me know, uh, Jeremy. Thank you very much for your um, your I mean your question. Hope all is well in Montreal. And um, I'm gonna go ahead and go for the next question. And I'm gonna have a little advert here. Better Call Nico this week is sponsored by myself, and I'm running a Kickstarter campaign right now called dark streams and i'm going to talk quickly about what dark stream is uh dark streams are uh dark room live streams so everybody knows live streams are right now the hot topic everybody's live streaming on instagram facebook youtube and whatever but most people are just improvising turning on the camera and talking from you know whatever location and that's about it most you get on film um, live streaming is sometimes someone fixing a camera on live stream. Sometimes you get someone maybe developing their film in their bathroom on a live stream. But that's about it. Uh, I've done over 50 live streams on this uh, YouTube channel that I have called Nico's Photography Show. And I'm doing a Kickstarter right now for dark streams. And this is going to be live streams from the darkroom. Uh, all multi-angles. There's going to be multiple angles. So you can see the trays, the work under the enlarger. A quick explanation of what I'm doing, an intro, an outro. I can read comments live uh, and all these things. And the perks for the live streams are going to be exclusive uh, access to the first six live streams, voting for what picture should be worked on on the live streams, and uh, prints. Or I can print your negatives. So you can send me your negatives. And I'll make a personalized video showing you how I achieved the look I achieved for your negatives. 
And then there's a workshop, which is like the higher tire one, which is if someone wants to come all the way to Spain and learn uh, film photography, all included in what I mean material. On Kickstarter now, I have a small goal of 1,200 euros to basically purchase a couple tools to have it mostly permanently set up. So yeah, uh, yeah, sponsoring this Better Call Nico. So let's go for the next question, guys. Let's see what do we have here. Hi, Nico. I really like the idea of this podcast. It's going to be great. Um, so I have a question concerning film developing. I've been developing at home for the past six to eight months or something. And I'm having problems with my squeegee. Um, I seem to be getting a lot of lines sort of scratches along my negatives and I'm wondering whether it's coming from the squeegee I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty sure it is um so a couple of questions do I need to use one if not what can I what else can I do what could be better um and then a sort of slightly related question is how in a flat uh we're just like at a normal apartment with in a living environment, what's the best way to minimize dust? Um, for the moment, I've been uh, putting my negatives up to dry in my shower, um, but I'm still getting quite a bit of dust, especially I'm concerned about um, using my negative supply. When I take the negatives out of the shower and then start to scan them i'm pretty sure i'm getting quite a bit of dust at that point so yeah any uh tips or information you have could be great thanks a lot Bye. okay guys um i don't know if i got a name but if not uh i'm here to answer your questions so first of all um squeegee or not squeegee there's probably uh like a 75 percent Maybe 80% people say no squeegee and there's 10% that, or 20% to say, yeah, squeegee's fine. If you look at the Ilford video on how to develop film, uh, they use it because they provide it. Uh, honestly, I say squeegee is a big no-no. And I'm going to explain why. First of all, when you buy your squeegee, it's made out of a rubber, like your windshield wipers in your car, and that rubber is nice and soft, and maybe it's fine, and woo, it works fine. So you do your first rolls, you probably screw up way more stuff than the squeegee part on the first couple of rolls of film you're developing. And that's absolutely fine. There's a small learning curve to developing film at home. Um, but the squeegee, what happens is the plastic gets hard. Uh, stuff, debris and stuff gets stuck to the squeegee. And that stuff uh, goes ahead and uh, scratches your film. Or if you're washing at home, maybe your, your water has a bit of sediment and maybe a little piece of sand, and that's happened to me. Uh, you go with your squeegee and you scrape those lovely negatives. So suddenly you have your super cool pictures with a scratch throughout the middle. And the biggest issue is black and white film is what most people develop at home. And black and white film can't be scanned with digital ice, which is the software correction um, that comes with Epson scanners and other scanners. So you have to leave that huge scratch and then go ahead and post. And if you're scanning, maybe uh, fix it with a cloning uh, tool or whatever dusting tool you're using. Or you just live with the scratches and embrace the dust. So first of all, squeegee no, in my opinion. That's what I don't use. Uh, I don't use it basically. What I use is I use my gloves. And I've been doing a series on YouTube. Uh, remember Nico's Photography Show for YouTube. 
where I do a series called Developing with Nico. Um, I'm going to be covering every single format, film, tank, everything I can find. So this is going to be a multi-year project. Um, and the idea is for everyone to find their solution with my video, hopefully. So what I do is uh, using rubber gloves, which right now are basically a commodity due to the current world situation, I dip them in photo flow. And photo flow, remember, is the last step always before you dry your negatives. And it doesn't have to be photo flow. It can be whatever Ilford sells or whatever Adox sells or whatever other brand sells. But it's basically a soapy solution that not only is soapy, but has a micro, um, antibacterial uh, in it. So you don't want to wash them after because if not, your film is unprotected and uh, fungus and stuff will eat it. Because remember, film is gelatin. And gelatin is organic. And uh, yeah, uh, we shoot organic film. And um, basically, you want to use those gloves. And I dip my fingers, my two uh, index and I don't know what the middle finger is called. Uh, in Spanish, it's dedo corazón. A heart finger, if that makes any sense. And I dip them in the water uh, with PhotoFlow. And then I squeegee softly the first run uh, to see if I find any little piece of sand. And you will find little pieces of sand or sediment on the film and locate it and just pull it off carefully because your film is still soft and, you know, tender. So that's what I do. I use my two fingers. I dip them in the water with PhotoFlow and I squeegee them a little bit. And from there, the second run, when I know there's no dust, I squeegee them a little harder. And from there, I hang them. Okay, so this should be done with uh, distilled water. I don't use it because my water supply is clean. But if not, do distilled. And you'll also prevent uh, marks on your film. And if you want to have less water, what you can do is when it's on the reel, sh kind of shake it a little bit. Give it a couple bangs. Like if, you know those salad dryers on, like... 24-hour uh, shop on TV that will like, spiralize your salad and dry it out. Well, you kind of want to do similar things. So if you can give it a couple wanks, uh, that film will, those droplets of water on your film will go all to the edge and will manage the drying much faster. So yeah, I squeegee with my fingers and then I just hang to dry, to dry and hanging to dry. So clips on the top, clips on the bottom. You can use normal clothespins. You can use the binder kind of office supply stuff. You can use the proper ones, whatever you use, it'll work. But do remember to always put one on the bottom. It'll help keep the film uh, dry flat. And usually, you know, it, it's a little easier on the film. Um, so dust, dust with drying. So when you're drying your film, of course, as it's gelatin and it's kind of moisturized, it's kind of like, I would say a little, you know, tender and dust does tend to stick to it. So what the common consensus has always been is if you can have a house that's clean of dust, which is impossible, or a dark room clean of dust, which is pretty much impossible too, unless you're super clean and everything, which I think we all try to, but it's harder to do than to say. Um, what you do in a bathroom in your house, if you're doing it in the bathroom and if not do it in your bathroom, is you turn on the hot shower the hot water on your shower and you shower not the bath just the shower and you keep it on for a couple minutes whatever is necessary to to build a bunch of steam in your bathroom and you might think hey steam is going to be humidity it's going to take longer for my film to dry wait F uh, humidity makes the dust particles stick to water and uh, go down on the floor or go on the walls and you'll have a dust clear environment so turn on your shower crank it up to hot for whatever time you need, four, five, six minutes. In my house, it's around six to seven minutes. 
and once all that humidity has settled the dust, then you can pull out your film from your tank and do this at the very end. Uh, maybe while you're washing, you can do it, um, which is like 10 minutes of running water. You can do this and then just ha hang it. And that should prevent your film from getting dusty. Um, if it does get dusty, even though, you can sometimes clean it with, uh, I think there's a special alcohol, which right now I'm not remembering and I have it in my darkroom, but um, it's basically an alcohol that lets you rub certain imperfections but sometimes with a microfiber cloth you can kind of like just give it a slight rub and the dust comes off so i hope that helps and uh you were saying that you scan with a negative supply which i do too and keeping dust out of that i highly suggest you get uh there's a kinetronics brush that is anti-static and there's some super cheap ones the 35 millimeter version is like 30 bucks in the u.s guys the european guys were screwed but you can try to get a friend to bring it from the U.S. whenever air traveling is uh, possible again. But that thing will really help. And if not, get one of those rocket blowers. And every time you're going to scan, poof, poof, you poof it. Uh, poof it. Is that a word? You blow on it and you keep the dust away. That has really helped me. I've managed to keep my dust to a bare minimum. I barely have to spot a couple shots of a 36 millimeter uh, roll using this system. So I hope that helped you. I hope that was um, helpful to prevent the scratches from the squeegee, uh, the dust while drying, and the dust while scanning. So thanks for reaching out. And uh, I, you know, guys, give me your name. Give me a bit of more information so I can get to know you guys a little better. So yeah, thanks. And let's go to the next question. Hi, Nico. Uh, my problem is that I just bought a Fujifilm GW690 Mark II and I just tried it out for the first time. And one of the things I would like to try is to shoot double exposures, but I'm not sure how to do it. It's a fully manual camera, so I know it can be possible. I'm just not sure how. And also I wanted to ask for some help with shooting 35 mil film on this camera i know someone's created a hack but it's not very clear and the youtube videos on it aren't particularly clear either if you have any advice or any recommendations for videos or demonstrations or maybe you can make a video yourself if that's possible please let me know thank you okay so again no name sorry for that um but let's start with the Fuji. Uh, the Fuji GW690 uh, Mark II camera is a 6x9 medium format camera made by Fuji. There's uh, slightly bad news with this. You cannot do double exposures. As it doesn't have the option of multi-exposure on the body, there's no actual hack to cock the shutter and not advance the, the film. Uh, they're both coupled. So the moment you shoot and you go to advance, you're doing both things at the same time, cocking the shutter, which is a leaf shutter lens, uh, and uh, advancing the film. So there's no way that I know to do uh, double exposures in a camera like this. I mean, I guess you could try to load it and uh, shoot it and then re-spool it because you have to re-spool 120 film. You can't just turn it around and it's not the same one way than the other. Uh, they're not symmetrical and then reshoot it but then of course the spacing and the I would say not really the camera for this sorry to say 
Then to the second part of the question, shooting 35 millimeter film on medium format cameras has become the thing lately. And I think it's pretty cool because of course X-Pan cameras are super expensive. Uh, and uh, this renders basically a sprocket experience on a 35, I mean on a medium format camera. So there's multiple options that I'm gonna comment here. First of all, there's the do-it-yourself which you can get your 120 spool and you can kind of like Dremel the ends to make little, um, how would I say, spacers. So when you're shooting 35, of course, the roll is smaller than the 120. So what you do is you cut uh, the middle core of the 120 spool and you make like a little top and bottom uh, spacer. That's the first way. Uh, this can be done cheaply because we all have, at least I do, multiple hundred 120 cores. And uh, it's the cheapest way. And then on the other side, you have to do the same thing. Another roll of canister of 35. And you have to tape uh, the leader of the film into it. So when you advance, it sucks the film inside. Um, one thing that you have to know is when you're shooting like this, when you finish your roll, you can't rewind because there's no rewind function on medium format cameras. So you have to go into a dark bag, dark room, dark bed, sheets, uh, cupboard, wherever your dark spot in the house is, uh, changing bag. And you have to open the camera and then cut the film and rewind it inside to the canister where you're winding it and send it to the lab or develop it yourself. So you have to do this uh, you have to have four little spacer spindle adapters. Um, the do-it-yourself is probably the cheapest and probably the most work. Uh, the second option is the 3D printing. There's people that have put, done 3D printing little spacers, which you just basically print and you use, and it's the same thing, but it's easier if you have a 3D printer than cutting it with your Dremel or a knife and slicing your finger like I always do. Um, so that would be the second option. And the third option is uh, people that actually sell them online, either on eBay or whatever. I have a 6x7 Pentax kit that lets you shoot 35, and it comes with aluminum machined little spacers that are really high quality, uh, more than you need for this. So basically, that's what you could do. How to do it, um, <clears throat> if I haven't sort of said it already, is very simple is you get your roll of film that you're gonna expose, so your virgin unexposed film, and you put it where you usually put your roll of new film on your camera uh, with the little spacers, so it is basically held there properly. You pull the film leader into a second empty uh, 35 millimeter canister, and you either wanna tape it to a little piece of leader or you wanna somehow uh, put it in there and it has to be tight. So you have to tape it or something like it. So you can use old uh, reloadable uh, canisters or canisters that comes from labs that use the Narizzo de uh, developing machines because they leave like a centimeter of film that you can tape to. I have a bunch of them that I got from Garmencita in Spain. And uh, you need those adapters on that other roll, which is the taking roll. And uh, basically that, once you have that uh, film, you have to have it flat, as flat as you can. Don't go crazy on advancing and there's no arrow on the 35 millimeter film. So you basically do that. And once you close the back, you just advance till the camera says well, number one. You shoot accordingly. Do remember that you're getting a super 
panoramic middle centered frame. So uh, cut a big chunk of the top of the bottom of your viewfinder to be able to sort of compose. Shoot your roll. You're going to be getting around 20, probably a little less than 20 shots. Probably like 18, 17 shots. 16 maybe because it is 6 by 9 so it's pretty long, like more panoramic than an X-band. X-band is around a 6 by 7 neg cut from top and bottom. Uh, it's 24 by 65 or 24 by 56. Now I'm not sure. So you do that. You shoot, you shoot, you shoot. And when you're done, like I said, you can't just open the back. You could, but you're going to waste the last couple frames. Go to a darkroom, open the back, cut the film from the what was uh, your film that you were shooting and uh, wind it into the role that is the taking role and then from there develop it. So I hope you, that helped. I'm sorry you can't do multiple exposures on this camera. Uh, I do know there's a couple, I don't think 6x9 cameras have ever had multi-exposure unless you're shooting something like a view camera that does 6x9, like a Horseman or a Linhoff or something like that. But yeah, um, sorry for that. Hopefully you'll figure it out. You could always do double exposures on post, scanning and just overlaying. I know it sounds like um, cheating and wizardry and whatever, but honestly, at the end of the day, if that helps you create, it's a way to do it. And uh, you didn't hear it from me, but, you know, post-processing is absolutely fine with film. Uh, I actually encourage people to understand that we should manipulate our images to get what we want, always with taste, I think, but it is done. You do it in the larger, you do it in the darkroom, you can do it in post. So yeah, guys, uh, time is around 35 minutes, so I'm going to call the first episode there. Let me know, and you can't leave comments because I don't read because podcast is a mess. There's not like a YouTube platform, which is the only one. They're all over the place. So let me know through social media, emails, whatever it is. If you like the episode, if you want to have it longer, if you want it to be shorter, if you want me to whatever it is, let me know. Uh, as always, remember, uh, it's www.bettercallnico, the only podcast that lets you be part of it uh, in every single episode. So if you guys don't suggest questions or uh, things, I won't be able to make a podcast. But so far, you guys have been awesome. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a you know great time wherever you're going or wherever you are. Uh, stay safe and uh, shoot some film, you know. Enjoy it. That's what it's all about. Bye, guys.